Outlet pass the plug. Here come the Aces on the run. The Energizer looks for Ty Young. Sprints to the hoop. Off the glass and good. good, good, good. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Oh, mercy. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Show. For the fourth quarter of game number four, it's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Hammy's gonna let one fly. Chance three. Chance three. The Energizer with a three from half court. Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? TC Martin. There are six seconds to go, and the Energizer hit a wild, crazy, improbable three. To give the aces the lead. The doctor is now in. In, in, in. Glad to have you with us on this wild Wednesday. No doubt about it. In wild night last night, the Michelob Ultra Arena at the Mandalay Bay. As the aces victorious, 96-90. They lead the best of, si- best of five WBA semifinal series. One game to love. 7,009. That was your attendance last night. That's right, seven thousand and nine. And tomorrow, more than that, nine thousand expected sellout tomorrow night at the Michelob Ultra Arena. So finally, people are hearing the message: get out and support this team. It's playoff basketball at its finest. Great time last night with the Aces defeating the Phoenix Mercury, led by. Dinah Tarazi, Brittany Griner, a couple future Hall of Famers. But when it was all said and done, it was the Aces last night and the guard play. Raquana Williams with 26 points, Kelsey Plum with 25, Chelsea Gray 17 points and 13 assists. Great game for the Aces to get the W last night and lead this series one game to none. Game number two tomorrow night at the Michelob Ultra Arena. So, all right, so we'll uh, recap that uh, for you today. We've also got boxing to talk about with the news yesterday of Manny Pacquiao officially announcing his retirement. He did it in the Philippines. Manny, 42 years old, arguably uh, one of the greatest fighters of all time. And for me, I will probably even say maybe even the greatest fighter of all time when you encompass his entire career, the longevity, the accomplishments. I mean, nobody accomplished what Manny Pacquiao did. Eight-weight division champion. Think about that for a minute. Eight-weight division champion. So we'll uh, salute Manny Pacquiao today. We'll uh, talk about his career. And I know a lot of people say, well, you know, when these boxers announce their retirement, does it really mean anything? Is he really retired? Because so many of these guys, you know, come back, retire again, come back. I and mean, we saw it with Floyd Mayweather Jr. We've seen it with so many fighters. But with Manny Pacquiao, you got to believe that he's probably hanging him up for good. And we can talk about that today. 42 years old. He is running for the presidency in the Philippines. So that has a lot to do with it, too. And Manny's a guy, he loves boxing. He loves competing, but he's had a lot on his plate for a long period of time, flying back and forth between the Philippines and Los Angeles. And uh, 
I think it's 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 definitely time. I think he thought long and hard about this after the fight that he lost here in Vegas to Ugas, and he didn't want to make a rash decision, but he kind of knew going into this fight this could be it. And then at the press conference after the fight, he said, basically, thank you, boxing. And a lot of people took that as meaning, okay, he's done. But he didn't want to say he was done just yet. He wanted to take 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 some time. And he's taken the better part of the last five, six weeks to think about all this. And uh, so yesterday and then again today, he, he announced it uh, via his Facebook page. He put a video out there and uh, news out there that, yes, Manny Pacquiao is officially retiring at the age of 42. Larry Merchant is going to join us today. Love having Larry on the show. Larry Iconic, Hall of Fame broadcaster, journalist, all those years with HBO you know, covering boxing along with uh, Jim Lampley and company. So Larry Merchant is going to join us, and uh, we'll talk about his thoughts regarding Manny Pacquiao and his 26-year professional career. All right, so we've got that going on today. Chris Bosio is going to join us, Major League Baseball. Yes, it is uh, the end of the regular season. The postseason is upon us starting next week. The Houston Astros, they can clinch their playoff berth tonight. They could be popping champagne if they get a victory over the Tampa Bay Rays. They got a wild come-from-behind victory last night where they never led until the bottom of the ninth inning. They went into that game trailing 3-2, to two, and they got not one but two bases-loaded walks. So last night you had the walk-off, walk-off, walk. That's what you had last night in Houston, uh, defeating the Rays, who many people, including myself and T.J. Reeves, think that that is going to be your American League Championship Series with those two teams, which I hope so, because I've already got my Houston trip booked. I'm ready to go, and that's the way it's aligned out. So Tampa Bay, take care of your business. Houston, take care of your business. And then I'll be a happy camper. There you go. All right, so uh, you know, we've got plenty to, of MLB talk with Chris Bosio, the former pitcher, the former pitching coach, has that World Series championship ring with the 2016 Chicago Cubs. So Boz will join us a little bit later on this hour. But uh, let's start the program and bring in our good friend Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review-Journal covering the Aces last night. Appeared with me, of course, on the halftime show last night. And, uh, and, of course, he covers UNLV, the Raiders, and, of course, the great sport of boxing. So we'll talk to Sam about Manny Pacquiao as well, too. Sam, how you feeling, brother? TC, what's up, my man? Doing well. Appreciate you having me on. No problem. we got a lot to touch on, Sam. Let's first let's talk about what our eyes saw last night at the Mandalay Bay, the Michelob Ultra Arena. The regular season is behind us. It was game one of the WNBA semifinals last night, Sam, and it was so good to see a packed house at the Mandalay Bay last night. 7,000 fans, and really, I don't know how you felt about it, but it just it was, it was different last night. Even though we've seen 7,000 in the Mandalay before, going back two and three years ago, but we didn't see it, obviously, at all last year because the Aces weren't here. They're playing in Braden, Florida. We're watching the finals from a distance with no crowd, with a bunch of black curtains and everything. It was just weird. And then this year, we're open up the season with no fans. And then we have a maximum of 2,000 fans with season ticket holders. And then it gets opened up a little bit. But then now it's the playoffs. The fans were in abundance last night. 
And it's even going to be more fans coming up on Thursday because finally, Sam, the word is getting out. People are reading your your columns and, and your articles in the RJ and hopefully listen to this radio show because it's you and I, my friend, that are banging the drum for the Las Vegas Aces. Well, TC, it was um, it was a tremendous atmosphere. I know I know the attendance says seven thousand, but you know Michelob Ultra Arena is a more intimate feel to it. It's not like one of these jam packed arenas, and seven thousand in Michelob Ultra feels like fifteen at you know Staples Center. I mean, it was a loud, thunderous atmosphere, and I really think it played a role in, in helping the Aces win again win that game. Uh, first and foremost, um, tremendous competitive atmosphere, great game back and forth um, all night long. You have a ton of high level but you know mvps future hall of famers olympians all-stars number one picks the whole nine yards two of the very best teams in the league uh teams comprised of uh, some of the best players to have ever played this game and, and we saw everybody shined i mean we saw it was a tremendous tremendous basketball game i thought um again the atmosphere courtside Ra- raiders players courtside dwayne wade donovan mitchell utah jazz uh just tons of enthusiasm from the crowd and again i really think um, it helped power the Aces, who, who got off to a slow start. You know, Phoenix, let's not forget, Phoenix had played a couple playoff games, single elimination playoff games, and had a little bit of a rhythm coming into this game. I thought it took a, it took a second for the Aces to find their groove, uh, but the, it really changed, uh, really changed the pace of play in the second quarter there with a, a string of defensive stops, double-teaming Brittany Griner, getting out in their transition offense, and then letting their guards do what they do uh, the rest of the game. Guards really controlled the pace and tempo. Uh, and, and were able to stave off a, a, a pesky Phoenix team that's comprised of veterans that has championship DNA with, with Diana Taurasi and Brittany Griner, and uh, were able to close um, down the stretch. But, but going back to you know, your, 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 your comments, TC, uh, the atmosphere was definitely incredible and, uh, and very singular, very unique. We haven't had playoff basketball here since September. I believe it was September 24th, 2019, when the Aces lost to the Washington Mystics. Uh, in the best of five WNBA semifinals, but but this is a, a different team. This is an experienced veteran team now that's steeled, that's steeled by the experience of losing in the WNBA finals. That added veterans, experienced, grizzled veterans who have played in big playoff games, and uh, and they and they played a, a tremendous uh, team game yesterday and come away with a 96-90 victory. So, um, like you said, expecting a, a raucous atmosphere in Game Two and uh, and another competitive game, but between two of the the four best teams in the WNBA. You know, Sammy, you know, with us, you know, covering the team and being involved with the team, you know, we've we've seen the development of this team and and there's in the organization. And for a lot of fans, they're still new to this. Maybe they've watched a couple Aces games on television or maybe they've been to maybe a, a one or two games, but you know, this is a great time for fans in Las Vegas to actually now experience this. And we've been talking a lot about this all year. It's like, hey, this is going to be a great team to watch. It's going to be a fun team to watch. And come playoff time, it's time to get excited. And it's funny because I saw people at the game last night that I haven't seen before, and you made a great point talking about the Raiders. I mean, and seeing this relationship develop now between the Raiders and the Aces, and obviously the centerpiece there, the common denominator, is Mark Davis, who owns both teams now. But it was great to see the Raiders players not only just being there, you know, coming there on their off night when they could be doing other things, but then partaking and throwing T-shirts in the crowd. And again, this just wasn't one or two Raiders. I mean, it was Darren Waller. I mean, you, and you, then, you know, you had about 10 or 11 Raiders that were there. Okay, 
but then you had, like you said, you had the the NBA royalty there as well too, with Donovan Mitchell and Dwayne Wade and others. And we've seen this, you know, for All Star games and and playoffs games. You know, going back a couple years ago, and it's I just hope that more and more fans now are are getting a taste of this, and come Thursday night that there are nine thousand fans there, and that's what Bill Lambier said today that hey, that's what they're expecting, and this continues to grow the Aces do make the final, that they can actually turn people away and have it be a sellout crowd there at the Mandalay Bay because it's a great place to watch basketball. But more importantly, like we've been talking about, the Aces could be the first team to win a professional championship, and they'll be the first ones hosting a parade here on Las Vegas Boulevard. I mean, if, if there's certainly a, a, a strong possibility that, you see, when you take a look at the, um, at the, at the makeup of the roster, uh, you have bigs, you have wings, you have guards, you can play fast. You can play slow. You can play big. You can play small. Like there's no style of basketball that this team can't play because of the the, the personnel they have, and um and it really I think the course throughout the course of the regular season again this is a team that was in the WNBA finals last year. I think the regular season for this group was about reintegrating Liz Cambage, about figuring out how Chelsea Gray can take control of this team, about Kelsey Plum finding her rhythm and and becoming the player she is now. Where forget you know best bench player, she's one of the best players in the league period. It was about finding out what lineups to go to and what situations, what works, what doesn't work. Because this was a team, as we know, um, that, that had championship ex- expectations from the jump. It was all about getting that, that one of that top two seed. You know, not, not that the record wasn't important, but top two seed, get the double by, stay healthy, and, and then figure out who you are so you can uh, deploy these different combinations and lineups and different things in the postseason. And the, the Aces certainly seem to have, have done that, where, where it feels like at this juncture of the year, they know exactly exactly who they are, uh, exactly what lineups work, exactly what lineups don't work. I think Bill Lambeer has done a tremendous job, you know, having the pulse of this team and having a feel for what lineups to go to, when to go big, when to go small, um, when to play Liz Cambage, when when she needs to sit as she works her way back from COVID nineteen, when to run things through Chelsea Gray, when to run things through Kelsey Plum, when to run through Asia Wilson, so on and so forth. I mean, this is a very very cohesive unit that's developed an uncanny chemistry over the course of the season. And then going back to, uh, you know, the support that the Raiders and that other NBA players have given this franchise throughout the course of the last few years and just kind of the enthusiasm that they have for the WNBA. I mean, game recognized game, TC. You know, you know that. I mean, at the end of the day, these are the best. These are some of the best athletes in the world. I mean, Diana Taurasi is maybe the greatest basketball player ever, you know, on the women's side. And the skill level and the athleticism and the physicality and the the teamwork and the IQ that these teams you know played with yesterday, I mean, it was again a great, great basketball game, a great showcase of the WNBA, and you know for a national audience, a great showcase for Las Vegas and what, and what the Aces have built. So I'm with you. I think this team is is right there on the cusp of, of a championship. I, I believed all year um, that they are going to win the championship. There's nothing that, that has deviated um, my beliefs, uh, as so long as they can remain healthy. And that's, you know, that's always a big thing. They're, they're continuing to work this campaign back into the lineup after she missed, uh, five games of COVID-19. But, but this, this team has all the makings of a championship team. And, uh, and if they can get through Phoenix, um, they'll be one step closer. And, uh, I'm not by writing off Phoenix by any stretch. They were right there down to the wire and that's, you know, playing on running on fumes and with Diana Taurasi banged up. But when you look at the, the makeup of the roster, 
the Aces, they, they, they just feel like they're a championship-caliber team, and it's on them now to, to win five more games. And like you said, bring the first championship back to Las Vegas, uh, Pro Sports Championship here to town. All right, Sam Gordon joins us, uh, covers the Aces, uh, along as you, with uh, UNLV, the Raiders, uh, boxing, and so much more for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. We talk about the guard play, which is always yeah. important, Sam, when you're talking about uh, in, you know, in playoff basketball, college basketball, when we get to the NCAA tournament, we're always saying, hey, you have to have guard play. And that is kind of unsung with a lot of people with the Aces. They always want to talk about Asia Wilson, the reigning MVP, and then, of course, Liz Cambage. But last night, it was all about the guards and Raquana Williams with 26 points, career playoff high for her, Kelsey Plum with 25, and then Chelsea Gray with 17 points and 13 assists. Like I said, those three guards alone combined for 68 of the Aces' 96 points. And the Aces have never had guard play quite like this. And I think it starts with Chelsea Gray just being your prototypical point guard who can dish the no-look dimes, but then she could score. And we've seen her with game-winning buckets. And remember, she has a championship with the L.A. Sparks. And for people who don't know Chelsea Gray, she is a phenomenal guard, went to Duke University, and uh, like I said, got that championship with the Sparks. And she is phenomenal. And she is the missing piece to this puzzle for the Aces where Bill Lambeer says, hey, I've got a veteran leader. I've got you know a gold medalist. I've got a WNBA champion, and I got somebody that I can rely on come crunch time in these playoff games. And you know what, CC, that's exactly it. I'm actually working on a piece um, that's going to run in the Review Journal this weekend about Chelsea Gray and her status as, you know, her moxie, her status as as a leader and as one of the most clutch players in the WNBA. So that that will be coming out this weekend. But yeah, she's she's so complete. She has no weaknesses in her offensive game. Understands time, situation at all times. Three level score. Uh, can create for herself, can create for others. And the biggest thing, he doesn't care about her stats at all. It's about winning, and it's about making whatever plays are necessary to win. If it's about if it's if somebody else has a hot hand, she has no problem deferring. I thought there were stretches last night, as we saw at DC, uh, Kelsey Plum was heating up, scoring 20 points in the second half. Chelsea Gray had no problem deferring to her and letting and letting Kelsey Plum handle the offense, run things through her. She's coming off double double ball screens, pin downs, and, and really uh, was in her groove. And then it was time to take control right back to Chelsea Gray, and, and she's able to do that. Um, the, the, the backcourt, I think the thing that makes that this backcourt so unique is that everybody can create their own shot. Kelsey Plum is capable of creating her own shot. Chelsea Gray, as we talked about, can do that, and so can Raquana Williams. And the most impressive thing, TC, when you talk about what they did last night, only three turnovers between them. I mean, they took care of the ball and were in total control. And I think that's, you know, Bill Lambeer touched on it last night after the game, is that's what makes the Aces so hard to guard is because, Yes, you have to you have to account for Liz Cambage. You have to account for uh, for Asia Wilson, and you have to account for De'Erica Hamby when she's in there off the bench. And and, and Phoenix has the personnel and Brittany Griner um, to match up with the Aces front court. So okay, you want to you want to match up with the front court. You got to account for these guards too, and, and you adjust the game plan. You want to take away what the guards are doing. Well, then you leave yourself vulnerable to to the bigs on the inside. So it's it's really a complete team, and it's so thorough. Uh, thoroughly well constructed uh, in terms of the players, how their skill sets complement one another, and I'm I'm really curious to see what what adjustments Phoenix makes because the, the guards last night were just so comfortable coming off screens, getting into the paint, and then making decisions, making reasoned decisions, looking for their own offense. That if the Aces guards are able to just take control like that, and like you said, guard play is so crucial in big playoff games at all levels, all kinds of basketball. If the Aces guards are going to control the, the game like they did yesterday. 
is this, this series is going to be a sweep. Uh, Phoenix is going to have to do something to disrupt this guard play. But if you're going to do that, then you're giving up you're giving up opportunities to, to the aces uh, inside. So it's kind of like pick your poison. That was the purpose of, of, of constructing a team in this matter. That's what the aces were vying for, and they've succeeded in constructing a really thorough and complete roster. So, um, you know, tip, tip of the cap to the way the guards played yesterday, and uh, now, now it's on to Phoenix uh, in game two and to see how they adjust and try and slow down that three-headed attack that spearheaded the victory last night. There you go. All right, Sam Gordon talking about the Aces. They get the victory last night, 96-90 over the Phoenix Mercury. The Aces lead the best of five WNBA semifinals, one game to none. And it's funny, Sam, as, as we're there last night and then again uh, you know, earlier today, I was at the Mandalay Bay with practice and everything, and you see people that are, there, that are coming out of the woodwork now. And it's one thing for fans to come out of the woodwork and the celebrities. I understand that. But as you know, Sam, I want to get your take on this. Now we're getting me. Media that, that that are coming out of the woodwork, and a classic happened earlier today when there was a national media members that came on out and they wanted to do some interviews. And uh, our good friend Jiggy says, "Okay, well, the press conference is going to be going on here pretty soon. Anyone else specifically you'd like?" And they go, "Yeah, uh, headquarters would l- like me to talk to Aja, please." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, does that just say it all, Sam? Tell these ham and eggers to stay away. Or if you're going to come, let's get it right, okay? If you're going to cover the sport, then cover the sport like you're supposed to cover the sport, right? 100%. 100%. And, um, <laughs> you know, absolutely. And, and, you know, I know it's great for the franchise um, to, to get this additional kind of attention. And, and you know, hopefully from their perspective, uh, you know, winning like this and, and, and playing in games like they did yesterday um, is gonna is gonna be a boost to that, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you completely. Got to got to cover the sport properly for sure. <laughs> Just have a little fun there. That's it. All right, my friend, uh, you cover boxing so well. You're like me. You, you love it, and you're at every big fight. And we get the word yesterday that Manny Pacquiao officially retires. Uh, 62, 8 and 2, 39 knockouts. But that's really not the story, Sam. The story of Manny Pacquiao is that he beat 22 world champions. All right, Marco Antonio Barrera twice, Oscar De La Hoya, Ricky Hatton, Miguel Cotto, Antonio Margarito, Sugar Shane Mosley, Brandon Rios, Tim Bradley twice, Keith Thurman, the last guy he defeated here in Las Vegas. And that's only to name, you know, some. And there are so many others there. But the guy did so much for the sport. And when you and I have talked before and asked each other, hey, who's the greatest fighter you've ever seen and this and that, Manny Pacquiao for me is that guy. Because this guy has spanned four decades. Think about that. Four decades. So for me, the longevity fought everyone that was put in front of him. He never picked and choosed. He won or lost with class. And it's an anomaly in sports. But this guy, and and I hate to use this term, but... This is apropos for Manny Pacquiao. I mean, he, he's the greatest loser that we've probably ever seen in the history of sport. When things don't go his way and he gets a bad decision, he got several of them in his career, he'd just say, well, that's boxing. Uh, Manny Pacquiao, for me, is, if not the greatest, I mean, top two or three for me all time. And I'll just say this before I let you, you say your thoughts, Sam. He never changed his style. He went into fights with that aggressive bulldog style, that mentality, that stick and jab, and have that power, and he was just as lethal at 42 as he was at 22. 
totally, um, totally singular career, TC. I mean, this is this is this guy's one of one um, to start at 105 pounds and to eventually win a championship at 154 pounds. And the fashion in which he defeated Antonio Margarito, I mean, just you know, un- certainly one of my most memorable uh, Pacquiao fights is that victory. But like you said, he um, he fought everybody. He he was uh, totally fearless. I think he embodied the spirit of boxing uh, inside and outside of the ring. He fought everybody. He 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 never uh, never compromised who he was. He never, like you said, never compromised his style. He was going in there to mix it up, and and more often than not, he was way more often than not he was on the victorious end of things. And and to think um, about all the world champions you named that he fought uh, to, in all the different weight classes, this is a guy that throughout the course of twenty five plus years really wanted to challenge himself and wanted to bring out the best in himself, and in doing so, um, entertained millions and millions and millions of boxing fans, uh, not just here in the U.S. obviously, but around the world. I mean, he he is one of the few fighters that transcended boxing where, where he was a global figure and, and really an icon. And, uh, and it's, you know, certainly not necessarily a surprise given, given the result um, in August when he, when he loses to your Ugas. And of course with the Filipino election looming in which he has uh, declared his candidacy and is running for office. But uh, like you said, you, you total class act, incredible fighter, incredible champion. And, we're not going to see this again, TC. I don't think we're ever going to see. I mean, the eight, eight weight classes is is induplicable in and of itself. That is so hard to do. And the way he was willing to push himself, often coming in light, you know, several pounds lighter than his opponents on fight nights, and still schooling schooling them inside the ring. It's just it was an un uh, just a, an uncanny approach to boxing, especially now, um, and the way he he seeked out challenges one after another, even into his forties. Uh, I mean, he loses to your Danis Ugas, but let's not forget he was supposed to fight Errol Spence Jr., who's considered by many, by most in, in boxing, to be a consensus top five pound for pound fighter in the time of his career. That's just who he was. He wanted to challenge himself. He wanted to push himself. Push himself, excuse me. And he put on a heck of a show pretty much every time out uh, in doing so. So I, I think I'm with you. I think Manny Pacquiao undoubtedly uh, is one of the five greatest fighters. Uh, that ever lived, um, an icon of his era, uh, you know, one of the definitive fighters of his generation, of a generation along with Floyd Mayweather Jr., uh, but but totally unique, totally singular, and uh, I'm going to miss watching him fight. I think we all will, just just what he brought to the sport, uh, the enthusiasm, the charisma with, with which he fought, and, and of course all the achievements, um, they, they speak for themselves. I don't think we're ever going to see anybody like Manny Pacquiao again, and, um, and just the tip of the cap to an iconic, legendary career, uh, from from one of the greatest pound for pound fighters of all time, and he really, I mean, we we talk about pound for pound all the time. TC, he embodied pound for pound. I mean, there yeah. was not a challenge too big for him. There was nobody he wouldn't fight. So many iconic fights, and uh, and, and I'm never going to forget being there uh, for three of them that I was lucky enough right. to cover here with the Las Vegas New Journal. It was an incredible experience, and I'm going to miss Manny Pacquiao a lot. It's not even just you know the. The, what he did in the ring with the fighting. And with Manny Pacquiao, he was so different than any other boxer. And with so many athletes out there today, Sam, that, that are full of themselves and they have a sense of entitlement, Manny Pacquiao never had any of that. And I used to watch him just the way you know he would conduct the press conferences in front of us and everything. But even outside of that, I would see the way he would treat uh, people 
fans, employees at the Mandalay Bay. Now, for those who don't know, Manny's favorite place in Las Vegas was always the Mandalay Bay. That's where he wanted to stay. So even when he fought at the MGM or T-Mobile Arena, he would stay at the Mandalay Bay. He Then he would conduct church services you know, down below there in the convention area, and you would have thousands upon thousands of people that would be there. He would just go out of his way to help people, not only in Philippines, because he gets all of that credit, and people you know, talk about that, but for people here in Las Vegas, I saw it with my own eyes, how he would treat people and give tickets to employees at the Mandalay Bay or just you know people that couldn't afford tickets or whatever. He is just a phenomenal human being that was always giving after give after give. So we could talk about Manny Pacquiao, the athlete, Manny Pacquiao, the senator, Manny Pacquiao, the professional boxer, but Manny Pacquiao, the human being, the Manny Pacquiao that you and I got a chance to talk to and meet. See, that's what just resonates with me. And you're right. I don't think we're going to, you know, see another Manny Pacquiao. Maybe the closest thing to Manny Pacquiao, and it's going to be, you know, down the road when we can actually compare, is Canelo Alvarez. For Canelo fighting everybody that is put in front of him, you know. And, uh, you know, Canelo does have a little bit of a, uh, of, of a str- an ornery kind of streak. He's not as, you know, he's humble like Manny, but he's, he's different. But as far as just longevity and being, you know, for the most part a class act, and being a warrior in and out of the ring and never going to decline fights, I, I got to say maybe it's it's Canelo a number two behind Manny. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I think there's a lot of uh, Canelo embodies a lot of those things that, that fighting spirit as well. You know, it, I mean, going back to his first mega fight, taking off away Mayweather uh, at that point, at that time, right there with Pacquiao, was 22 the, years you know, old. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, right. yeah, for sure, and willing to take on that challenge, knowing that he might you know sacrifices his perfect record, but. Uh, I went out. I was I was fortunate enough, TC, um, to go out to to wild card Freddie Freddie Roach's gym where Manny Pacquiao um, always conducted his training camp, and uh, you, the, the 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 fans were gathering outside of the gym, you know, well before his workout had even started, and and, and we're out there after I left when when the workout concluded, and he made time for fans uh, after every single after every single training session would take pictures, would sign autographs. He really understood the power of his platform and was very gracious uh, in using that. So, to your point, I mean, uh, an incredible—I mean, incredibly singular fighter and an incredibly unique um, human being as well. Somebody with that kind of platform, that kind of power, that kind of reach—that that conducted himself the way he did. So, uh, he was—I mean, he was incredible. And, and again, not necessarily a surprise that the retirement—that uh, he announces the retirement of everything he's going through right now, uh, preparing for a presidential campaign. But but he blessed us. You know, for 25 years and 20 years here in Vegas, uh, where where he staged most of his biggest fights, uh, he he blessed us with some of the most memorable fights and performances uh, in boxing history, and and his legacy um, is secure and and will be forever. He's an eight division champion, uh, 105 all the way up to 154. I mean, who can imagine that? And fought the best of his era, class act in the ring, class act outside the ring, and then left an indelible imprint on, on the sport of boxing. Um, moving forward. His, his legacy is, is second to none. All right, Sam, real quick, just a, a quick answer here before I let you go. Obviously, there are still people that are questioning, well, do you think Manny will come back maybe for one last fight? He announced his retirement. Do you think he actually does come back after this, whether it's a swan song in the in the Philippines or maybe you know uh, one more mega fight, or do you think he truly is done? Gut feeling. Gut feeling. I think this is it. I, I think this is it. Um, I, now, it, would it blow me over 
if there's one more fight in the Philippines, uh, you know, sometime in the next, you know, early next year to, to, to help promote the presidential campaign, I wouldn't shock me, but I don't think that's necessary at this point. I think Manny Pacquiao's status as an icon inside, outside the ring is, is, is secure, and I don't think he needs another victory to help his presidential campaign. He's been a, a Filipino politician since 2010, a, sen- a senator since 2016. He knows the game. Uh, he knows he knows what what he's striving for uh, in politics, and I think this is time where the time where he makes that his full time focus. There's no, nothing he left for him to accomplish in the ring. Yeah. So my gut feeling, this is legit for and, sure. And I think he thought long and hard about this before he made this decision. He wouldn't make a premature decision. I think when Manny says, "Hey, he's done," that he wants to be done, and and unlike a lot of other fighters, I think you know we take Manny as words like, "Hey, he thought long and hard about this," and it, it, he's hanging it up for good. So Sam, great stuff. Uh, appreciate it as always. Whether it's uh, Aces, Raiders, UNLV, boxing, great stuff. We look forward to seeing you back at the house tomorrow night for game number two between the aces and the mercury thanks tc can't wait see you there take care there he is sam gordon and go check him out at the las vegas review journal.com and uh you can catch his videos with raider stuff as well his articles all there and of course it covers the aces has basically covered the aces since day one here in town he's a good follow on twitter as well too at by sam gordon all right we've got more to talk about regarding manny pacquiao all right, so tribute to Manny Pacquiao today. Next hour, we're going to hear from a good friend, Teddy Atlas. He is going to chime in. Larry Merchant as well, the legendary commentator for HBO back in the day. Two guys that spent a lot of time with Manny Pacquiao covering his fights. Teddy Atlas was actually Tim Bradley's uh, trainer across from Manny Pacquiao when, when they fought. Uh, I remember Tim Bradley fought Manny Pacquiao three times, and of course, um, Teddy Atlas also, you know, worked for ESPN and covered those fights for uh, Manny Pacquiao o- over the years as well, too. So uh, we'll have more of those guys, more of their thoughts, and more talk about Manny Pacquiao next hour. When we come back, Chris Bazio is going to join us, and we talk MLB playoffs. Now, more of your favorite personal sports physician. Don't make me big. T.C. Martin. Of course, you are a character. Doesn't mean that you have character. The doctor is now in. All right, let's talk a little Major League Baseball here. I don't know if this song is actually fit our next guest or not because this guy wasn't very wild, and I don't think he spent any time in the uh, you know California uh, you know penal uh, you know penal code or whatever they called it in the movie. Right, right. There you go. I don't know if he wore any orange jumpers or not. Chris Bazio, the former pitcher, the former pitching coach. What is going on, my man? Not too much, buddy. How you doing? I don't know. See, Numchuck's playing a little, uh, little wild thing here for you. I, I'm, I'm not sure if that fits you or not, because he has a pretty good control back in the day. And I don't think you looked anything like uh, Charlie Sheen. The only thing Charlie Sheen and I have in common was we we shared a locker when they filmed the movie Wild Thing in County Stadium. Is this a fact? Wait, wait. So do tell here. That's right. No, they that's did, they, they did film that. You're right. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we. No, he. They moved right in, and and I had a choice locker in the corner, and Charlie took advantage of it. You know, in that corner we had like Mulder and Yount and Gantner, and those guys were down there, and those guys moved right in. So. 
it was pretty cool. I remember them changing up the stadium and trying to make it look like Cleveland and vice versa. But right. um, it was it was very cool and got to hang out with the cast a little bit. And uh, it, was, it was very cool. I remember those, them trying to pack County Stadium. They just opened it up. And I mean, there was 45,000 people at that place for a couple of those scenes. So how did they do that, Boz? It, it, was it just like, uh, hey, uh, attention, anybody and everybody, all Brewers fans, come out here. We're going to be uh, filming a movie here and, and, and come out here. And, and when did they do this? On, on off days? Or, or did no, they we, do things like a, after you guys completed a game and then shoot some scenes? Yeah, we, we actually went on the road. And then they filmed that because Pete Vukovic was the first baseman. Right. Uh, one of the, the the ball boys and our and our bullpen catcher, um, and I think it was Andy Nestor Smith. He was actually a bad boy on the home team, so he got to like really mix in with the actors. So we got firsthand knowledge of everything. But when we went on the road, is when they filmed it, and they did. They opened up the stadium, I think uh, three nights in a row, when they did all the filming of that stuff and. Uh, you know, one heck of a party out there afterwards from what I hear. And then Euchre just got to stay home. I mean, he, he stayed there in his, in his booth and got to do his thing. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it was hysterical. And that's when Bob was back in his heyday. I yeah. mean, he, he was throwing batting practice every day and hanging out and, you know, took the cast down on the boat on Lake Michigan. And, you know, it was a, it was a great time. All right, so let's let's go back to this. So let's start with Charlie Sheen. Like you said, you know he's basically taking over your your locker there. What was Charlie Sheen like back in those days? You know, you you didn't get a chance to talk to him very often. I mean, they hung around our workouts, try to you know get the feel of everything right. where we're gonna where they were gonna be. Um, I did have him sign a ball. I have a baseball in my collection. Mm-hmm. You know, from him, actually, I just looked at it the other day uh, that I picked up when he took my locker. I was like, hey, at least you can do sign a baseball <laughs> for me. So I, I have that. But, you know, they're all business when they get there. I mean, they want to they wanna nail this. Charlie went out of the bullpen, you know, tried to pick up some pointers down there when he was pitching. And he was actually he threw the ball well. He, he was pretty good. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, if, if you got a chance to – to see any of that, I mean, in, did any of these cast members, could they play a lick of baseball at all? I mean, look at Corbin Burnson. He said, this guy's got no business on a baseball field. You know, I'm not sure about Serrano or anybody else, but, uh, but Charlie Sheen could actually bring it. I mean, I don't know. I can't picture this guy throwing, throwing faster than 70, 75, man. Yeah, that's. It's more like sixty. Right, right, right. <laughs> like, like you go, like you're going to Calix for the state fair, right? There it is. Yeah, <laughs> they'll they can make it look as hard as they want, but it's sixty poo. It's all of sixty two, and you know right. they try. Uh, that makes sense. <laughs> Funny stuff there. All right, uh, Chris Bosio, a little, and that's something you and I never ever talked about before, and I don't know why we just I never kind of clicked that because I forgot all about that that they did film that at County Stadium. That's uh, that's some uh, interesting stuff there. And, of course, like you said, with Euchre and everything as well, too. And Euchre on top of the world. I mean, at that point in time, this guy's doing TV in the off season. He's making guest appearances. I mean, like I said, he was at his height at that point in time. Yeah, he was in his heyday. And him and Bob Costas doing, uh, I believe it was, uh, was it Monday Night Baseball back then? Right? And yeah. Yeah, I remember when I was pitching with Seattle. I uh, pitched in a game in Texas when it was coming down to the wire there in 95, and those guys 
were the announcers. And uh, it was good to see Bob because of my days in Milwaukee. All right, Chris Bazio joins us. All right, Boz, Astros and the Rays tonight. Astros win or a Seattle Mariners loss. Uh, they clinch it. They can pop a little champagne. I don't know how excited you know that you you want to get. I mean, they kind of expected to to get to the postseason here. When you're in a team of this type of situation and you've got higher aspirations, d- do you believe in the celebration or is it like okay, let's let's curb the enthusiasm here and let's let's wait until you know we actually you know win a division or or, or win the ALCS. I think because it's such a dogfight, I think they'll celebrate a little bit. You know, it's different. Like, obviously, look at St. Louis. They're very businesslike, but at the same time, what an achievement. Um, the teams that have been there more, I think they're going to be a little more ho-hum than the teams that have really overcome some obstacles and earned it. You know, nobody thought St. Louis was going to do this, but you start winning like that, and look at Seattle. I mean, Seattle... They win, they win a couple more games. It's going to get real interesting here in the last series. Right, right. All right, so Astros and the Rays uh, tonight. Uh, Astros with a wild come-from-behind come victory last night with the two bases loaded walks. And again, yeah. you know, kind of pic- picturing and penciling in both of these teams to face each other in the ALCS if everything goes according to form. But let's talk about these White Sox you know, for a second as well, too. Still maybe not getting a whole bunch of love. What is your take about the White Sox? They're a scary team because of, you know, what they can do with the long ball. You know, they're pitching. I think everything was really going to center around Keuchel in their rotation. Uh, Rondon, you don't know what you're going to get. I, I'm, I'm not going to expect a lot out of him because he is hurt. Keiko's going to be the one because the other two are going to be able to hold their own. But, you know, Chicago, they're going to have to score some runs to make this happen. I don't think the pitching was quite where they wanted it to be at the end of the year, and that's what happens when you, you know, you're able to stretch it out a little bit. Who do you think in the AL has the best pitching right now, best starting pitching? The best starting pitching? Oof. I would probably go with Tampa Bay. Yeah, even though even though they kind of mix and match a, a, a little bit the way they do, they're the they're the hardest ones to hit in the first five innings of the game. Okay. To me, that's the starting pitcher. Yankees, Red Sox, Seattle, Toronto, all battling here for the wild card. Call it, man. Who comes out of here? I think it's going to be Yankees, Red Sox. I think the Red Sox are going to find a way to, you know, somehow score some runs here in Baltimore. And then, uh, you know, the Yankees, <laughs> the Yankees got their hands full. You know, uh, you know they're not they're not out of the woods yet. They've everything's have to fall perfect for them. You know, and that's the Big Apple. I'm never going to say they're out of anything because I've seen some crazy stuff happens. But boy. Uh, one big hit by another team, and all of a sudden this whole scenario changes. And this AL East has really been crazy. I mean, we've seen the Yankees go through you know, losing streaks, and then they put winning streaks together. I mean, it's, you know, they haven't been really consistent at all, even though, I mean, they're, what, 23 games above 500, but in, obviously you know, not catching the Rays. They're seven back. But you got them, the Red Sox, and Toronto basically all within you know three games of each other. And like you said, 
you know, the, they're going to be battling out here because you've got what Yankees in, in Toronto here for the next couple of days. That's going to go a long way. And when you look at this Toronto team, I mean, I love them offensively. Then I guess, you know, here's the question mark again regarding pitching. And, you know, then you throw Seattle in the mix. And again, I mean, they were basically just, you know, people viewed it as they were just selling off the farm. They're going, okay, we're getting rid of Graveman. We're getting rid of, you know, other pitchers and other players and that sort of thing. And then they came and have taken care of Oakland, like about whatever it is, four, five, six in a row now. And uh, they're still trying to make this interesting here. So uh, very interesting wild card positioning down the stretch here in the AL. Absolutely. You know, and this is what it's all about. Teams that you don't expect to be there are there and could very easily get in this thing. Now, speaking of the Yankees, I don't know if you got this story, Boz, that um, the Yankees have adopted a pet turtle. Are you familiar with this? Yes, I heard about it today. <laughs> it's like the way he says it, like, yeah, I heard it. that's the way I feel. Uh, what is this? A, a pet turtle, and know. they're undefeated. They're undefeated after they got this adopted pet turtle named Bronxy or whatever. I mean, this doesn't even sound like a, a Yankee move, does it? I mean, what what is, what is going on here? And tell me, throughout your entire career, either as a player or as a coach, uh, any nonsense like this uh, did, did you guys do? And this almost sounds like a Joe Madden move, really. It sounds like something happened in his clubhouse. No, there's always guys bringing in bobbleheads, stuffed animals, live <laughs> lizards, iguanas. It's always somebody bringing in something. You know, and watch. If the Yankees get in the playoffs, you're going to see turtles on top of Yankee hats right. in Yankee Stadium. I'm calling it. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> okay, hold on. You, you, you said stuffed animals. Then you went to live iguanas. Uh, g- come on, give us an example. What's what's the strangest oh, thing that you want? You walked into work one day and you go, "What the heck is this?" Come on, let's hear it. We had a we had a pitcher way back when with the Brewers. His last name was Camacho, and he loved iguana. He loved it. Well, he was able to find one. I don't know how, but he brought it to the clubhouse. He brought it in the clubhouse. And then he cooked it in the clubhouse it on one of those hot plates. He, coo- plate. he cooked it. He cooked an yep. iguana. Oh my yes, he did. <laughs> what, and what goes on on iguana? I mean, is it sandwich style? Know. Is it hot not, sauce? What do you do, man? <laughs> not me. Not- <laughs> <laughs> I was out the door. I was like, man, this. And he's like, oh, it's just like chicken. That is not chicken. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought you were going to go with they bring in the iguana because it's like the turtle. It's a good it's a good luck charm, and it's going to be in the dugout uh, or something. No, they went whatever, right they went right to the grill. Right? Jeez. I have no idea if that thing was good or bad luck. I have no idea. Oh, jeez. All right, hey, come on. You got any other good clubhouse stories for us? Whether it's uh, animals, I got, food? I got nothing. You, you got nothing. <laughs> I don't know. Boz only comes with good urinal stories. He comes with really strong urinal stories. <laughs> There you go. Zip it up, Boz. There you go. <laughs> you, All right, you guys. You have a good one. Hey, I'm not done with you yet. You, you're not getting off. Just, you, you think I'm, going, I'm done with you. No, no. We're, we're talking about the National League now. <laughs> oh, get him back on the phone. I'm sitting there want to talk to him about the Cardinals, man. 17 in a row. Let him know. Jeez. Uh, I think that's the first time that I've been hung up on by a guest 
I've had some friends hang up on me before, and I mean, Boz, you know, definitely is, you know, in, in that in that category. Yeah, no, I'm trying to get it back on. I got to find out what's going on here. Yeah, this and that. <laughs> See, now he's not going to pick up your call. Say, we're we're not done talking about the Cardinals. Yeah. Listen. Oh, he's trying 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 to blame us. Let's let's go. Okay. But Boz, I, I'm sitting there saying that you that you that you hung up on us, man. I said Boz wouldn't do no. that. Okay. That's no, I got up and walked walked around the corner and click. Okay. I'm like, oh my god, he he did hang up on me. Oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> All right, we're kissed and made up. Uh, Cardinals seventeen in a row. I mean, when when they when they won five or six in a row, I'm going, yeah, so what? Seven, eight in a row. Is this a story? Eh, probably not. They're still w- far out. Ten in a row. Then they, then they played the Cubs and they swept them. Then it went 11, 12, 13, 14. Now we're up to 17. What is going on there? How about the Dodgers have to play the Cardinals in a one-game playoff? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is unbelievable that this thing stays the way it's going to go. I, I Some of the stories that are coming out of the playoffs this year – are absolutely incredible. You're talking about Dodger team right now sitting with 102 wins. But more importantly, a Cardinal team that's won 17 in a row that's going to need every one. Crazy. How does this I don't happen? Know what the, I, don't, I don't know what they're going to do in a one-game playoff. Who do you start? Right. Well, here's the thing. If you've won 17 in a row, and then you look at the standings here, how are you still six games out of first place? Anybody that's won 17 in a row, you'd think they'd either be in first place or at least making a knock on the door where they're still in striking distance at a division title, and that's not the case. That's what's so strange about this team because I never really viewed the Cardinals as being a horrible team. I thought they were just a, you know, kind of a middling team. I mean, still, you got Goldschmidt, you got Yadier Molina, you still got a good punch in the heart of the order there. They've won 17 in a row. And they're still six games out of first place, and not e- and not even a lock for a wild card. I, you know, I I know it's it's incredible, and the thing that I can't even grasp. I mean, if you think about the Los Angeles Dodgers, I think about a team that struggled all year with a lot of different stuff: the Bauer thing, injuries, going through a, just a a waiver wire, piecing this thing together, and then making a huge huge trade and you know and, and and getting Turner and probably the guy that's going to win is Cy Young and, and, and Scherzer but you think about their team they got 102 wins but for most of the year they struggled you know that's that's crazy to me the 102 wins you know how hard that is to do <laughs> and they and you really I mean it's not like they were overpowering Bellinger really hasn't done anything it's it's just amazing what has happened this year, and and what's going to happen in the next week. Can you recall ever seeing two teams in the same division with over a hundred wins like this? The Giants at one hundred three, the Dodgers with one hundred one. Insane. I mean, I actually went went back and and looked, and no. I mean, to think that those two teams and for. Now think about it. San Diego was in first place for a while, right? And they're below they're right, 500. They're right up there. Yeah, I know. Absolutely crazy. And the same thing with the Mets. You know, I was listening to the broadcast last night, and and Keith Hernandez. That's all they talked about. It was like this was a first place team for a long part of the season, folks. 
you know, and to see where everything's at right now, who would ever thought that the Giants would ever be where they're at? Well, they have stayed there the entire year. It's just amazing some of the stuff that's going on. Now the Giants lose belt. That's huge. Right, right. For four weeks. Man, that, guy, that guy came up big right there. That's a that's a big left-handed bat yep. to lose when you need him most in that first round. You got it. All right. Great stuff, man. Uh, appreciate it. And uh, let's uh, talk to you next week, man, when we're in playoff mode. And uh, looking forward to it. Great we stuff. We got to get Dusty a win tonight. Come on, Dusty. Yep, he's getting it. He's getting it tonight, man. He's getting it tonight. And uh, like I said, man, uh, I look for a nice little playoff run from Dusty and the Astros. We're rooting All right, for him. Talk to, you, talk to you guys. Appreciate it, man. There he is, Chris Bosio. Right. There you go. You got a little wild thing reference. There you go. You got Major League, the filming. Bosio saw it all right there. Charlie Sheen took his locker. Where else do you get that stuff? You got that. You got euchre. You got iguanas. Doesn't taste like chicken. Clubhouse stories. We should have asked if he, if, if he left anything in the locker. That's true. That's true. I don't think that, that's the case, but he's got a sign ball out of it. All right. Next hour, we'll talk some more boxing with Manny Pacquiao's retirement. Teddy Atlas is going to join us. Larry Merchant as well. We'll talk some NFL also. T.C. Martin Show on this wild thing Wednesday. Ladies and gentlemen. Ali, a sneaky right hand. Another sneaky right hand. This time he works over the shoulder. Wednesday, T.C. Martin with you. Miss any part of the show, you know where to go, tcmartinshow.com. This hour, talking more about the retirement of Manny Pacquiao. Yes, 42 years old, one of the greatest of all time. We'll uh, continue to talk uh, about that this hour. Some NFL coming up this hour as well, too. And those Raiders, those 3-0 Raiders. Yes, Monday Night Football at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles against the Chargers coming up this weekend. So looking forward to that. All right. Join us now. Our good friend hanging out uh, in New York City, uh, trainer extraordinaire, the uh, International Boxing Hall of Famer, Teddy Atlas. 
Teddy, what's going on, my friend? What am I doing? I'm at my grandson's people <laughs> game and somehow making time for you. Wow. Um, I feel somehow trying to fit you in here. But my grandson, he's not even four years old, but he's running the bases. <laughs> and, uh, and he's hitting the ball. So just a beautiful day here in New York, sat down to be exact. Yeah. And watching my little buddy uh, have some fun. T- Teddy, I'm honored. And you could have said, hey, I'm going to be at a baseball game today. But I appreciate that. But you know what? If I didn't make it, I was just going to not do it. Yeah. But I said, you know what? I'm going to do you a favor. And, um, you know, you hound me. You hound me. And I, I give in. I relent. I relent. And, um, I, I haven't I talked say, to you okay, in, in months. I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't even bugged you in months, Teddy. So come on, man. I appreciate you. You hounded me all the time. <laughs> so the only difference was the last time you did, I couldn't come on. I didn't come on. I said, I, I'll catch you next time. So when the next time came, I, uh, I said, you know what? I'll make the effort to do it. You're a good man, Teddy Atlas. You're always a good man. You know that. I got much love for you. Paint the scene for us there, Staten Island. What what uniform is your grandson wearing there? He's got a Yankee, a Met, an A's. What, what do they got? No, over they there? don't. Yeah, too early they, for that, huh? Yeah, they don't have that stuff. This is the East Shore Little League um, on Staten Island, so they they get sponsored by different you know organizations or different restaurants, different. You know, businesses, uh, so they have a name of a business, something like that. Uh, right now, it's before the season. The season had ended. This is practice, so they don't even have their name yet. Okay. <laughs> there you go. There's a no name. They're like the Miami Dolphins <laughs> one with Nick Bonacotti. There you go. Uh, he is the last undefeated NFL team. The no name. The, the no name defense. Absolutely. There he is. Teddy Atlas showing his uh, NFL wherewithal and uh, vast, deep knowledge. We remember that. Speaking of the Dolphins, yeah, I was at Allegiant Stadium again uh, last Sunday. The Dolphins and the Raiders. And your Raiders, Great. your Raiders, Great. Teddy Atlas, 3 and 0, baby. 3-0, baby. My son is assistant director yep. of scouting there. Yep. And Mayock is doing an unbelievable job and Gruden and, and all of the crew there that are involved. And uh, you know what? They they got, listen, like everybody, they got some holes. But they got plenty of heart, plenty of character, and plenty of weapons, baby. And, um, you know, they're, they're getting it done. They're getting they're getting it done. The only problem is, I told my son, at this rate, the way you guys win, I don't know if I can make it through the year. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, really, right? I'm going to need like you know cardiac help. Uh, these these are like the cardiac kids. I mean, they, <laughs> I, they, I, I said to my son after the last game, you guys ever ever believe in winning an easy one? I mean, wow. You, you talk about being fan friendly, like a fighter. You know, being fan friendly. These guys are certainly fan friendly. Uh, sometimes too much because uh, if I, if you have any kind of ailments, you know, related to the heart, uh, you might you might take it at your own risk watching these games because they they really they bring it down to the wire. But they find a way. You know, they find a way. When I was when I was predicting the fight uh, last week, the Usyk fight, and on my podcast, and um, we were doing that. I, you know, I was breaking down why I thought Usyk would win, and breaking down that everyone talks about the bigger guy having advantages, and I, I said forget about the bigger guy advantage, the bigger, stronger, and all the power. 
But what about the advantages Usyk has? You know, of agility, of legs, of defense, of IQ, of hand speed, you know, boxing ability. But and then it, when I finished with all of that, I said, "There's one more ability that nobody talks about. Nobody, and it's an ability. It's a trait. And Usyk has it: the ability to win, mm-hmm. to know how to win. And that's what the Raiders are showing right now." Yeah, you're right. So, Teddy, how much silver and black are you wearing around New York City oh, forget there? Forget about it. How much? Forget about it. A lot. A yeah. lot. A lot. <laughs> you getting any funny looks <laughs> over there from those Giants and Jets fans who are, by the way, combined, what, 0-6, Teddy? I mean, what's going on over there? Oh, wait, that's not New York. That's New Jersey. That's New Jersey. Listen, let me tell you something. Um, it's still, listen, it's, it's early in the year. We get it. But my son tried to warn those Jet fans, yeah. tried to warn them. That, hey, you're taking the wrong quarterback. You're taking the wrong guy. I wouldn't touch this guy. Now, look, look, it's early. The guy still could turn out to be a star. You never know. You never know. No, he stinks, but, Teddy. He's not going to be a star. Well, I, I'm trying to be, listen, I'm trying to be fair. I'm trying to be, I got you. Not, you know, a little diplomatic. Yeah. But um, he said, listen, I wouldn't touch the guy. And he's got a lot of friends, my son, that are obviously Jet fans, said, I wouldn't touch the guy. He said, matter of fact, he said, "My favorite guy coming out of this year, the you know the past year, was Mac Jones, the the guy from Alabama that New England got." He said, even though he didn't go as high as everyone else went, he said to me he was he was my favorite guy, you know, a guy that's accurate, a guy who's who's steady in the pocket, calm in the pocket. He's got a good IQ, you know. He's a guy that sees the field. He really he liked that guy coming out, and the year before. The guy that he liked the most coming out was Herbert. And, of course, he's got to face Herbert. He and the Raiders, they got to face Herbert next week. Right. See, Teddy Atlas's uh, son. There he is. Uh, assistant director of the Raiders. Teddy's got, and we've talked about this before on the show, You know, he's, he's got Raider ties now. He's got plenty of silver black in, in his closet there in New York City. And listen, we've had Raider ties. For 11 years. My son's been with the Raiders yeah. 11 years. I know, right? He's one of the longest tenured guys there, to be honest, right now. Um, he, Like I said, he's. we don't know for sure, but he might have been Al Davis, the great, the legendary Al Davis' last hire. And if not, one of them. Wow. One of them. Wow. That's, and I got to imagine that he likes his, his working conditions, his office, a lot better here uh, at Legion Stadium than the old Oakland Alameda <laughs> County Coliseum. <laughs> hey, that, listen, the best you can say about the old place, it had character. You yeah. know how they say that. It, it had character. Yeah. It had character. It had a you smell, know? too. It, there you go. Yeah. It had, it, listen, it had character. <laughs> that's, that's the way we like to say it. Go. But, yeah, listen, it, it was it a... Was, uh, Hey, it became a dilapidated place. It became an old place. That's why they had to get out. That's why they had to get a new place. And um, they tried their best to stay there, but uh, the the mayor over there in Oakland was was not was not really on board for going too much out of the way to make it happen. And at the end of the day, how uh, Davis' son Mark did what he had to do, and um, and they. They have a beautiful stadium. They have a beautiful stadium, and they still got those beautiful fans that that make the make the trip over there. It's not too far, and um, they still make the trip over there. The faithful is still there. You got it. When is your next trip to Vegas, Teddy? It's going to be probably October, definitely November. Okay, um, but probably October. We're, we're going to go there as much as we can because 
we besides my son, obviously, we have our grandson there who just turned three, and uh, we don't see him enough. We miss him. We we do miss him. We have two grandchildren here that are living with us that we see every day, and we're blessed. But over there, we we miss uh, Teddy the Fourth, and we. You know, we want to see them more, so we're just going to have to get on those planes and go over there. There, yeah. All right, we'll look forward to seeing you when you get here, man, at the stadium or, or outside of the stadium. And always great having you here in Vegas. All right, let's talk Thank about you. let's talk about Manny Pacquiao here. Uh, announces his re- retirement. Uh, you know Manny very well. Uh, you worked with him, worked against him, uh, called his fights. Um, I just want some quick thoughts. From, from you, Teddy, regarding Manny Pacquiao, because I say, for me, you know, Manny Pacquiao is just one of these guys that's, if not the greatest of all time, he's one of the greatest for longevity, 26 years of pro career. I mean, it, I don't think it'll ever be done again, Teddy, a guy who wins, you know, uh, has an eight-weight division champion, 12 major world titles. Some thoughts about Manny Pacquiao. Special. Very special, um, you know, one of those one-in-a-lifetime kind of talents or, you know, one-in-a-long-time kind of talents, one of those special guys that don't come along too often. And you touched on it. Part of the way that you rate and judge a guy's greatness is longevity. And, um, you know, he's fought everybody. He's come up from so many weight classes. Oh, my God. When he started, you would think he was going to be a jockey. Yeah, you know he's a flyweight. I mean? Like 105, right? yeah. 105 pounds. Yeah, 106 pounds, whatever. And and <laughs> he goes all the way up to 154 even for that. So, um, and wins titles everywhere. Uh, listen, one of the greatest combinations in the history of the sport of speed and power. Yeah, you get guys with power and you get guys with speed. But to get power and speed at that level, very rare. And then to carry it in that many weight classes up that up that ladder, wow, wow. And um, you know, you listen. One of the greatest pick. I mean, you know, pick whatever weight class you want to pick. But also one of the greatest southpaws. Yeah. You know, we kind of forget about that. You know, right up there with Marvin Hagler, one of the greatest southpaws of all time. And one of the, we touched on it early when we started this uh, interview, uh, fan-friendly, well, one of the most fan-friendly fighters you're ever going to see. So you talk about the whole package. I mean, he had the whole package. He had everything. And um, and if you want to throw on top, uh, the cherry on top of all of that beautiful Sunday, a great human being, a humanitarian, right. a real humanitarian, um, that that fought for his people and gave hope to his people. Very rare are there fighters that do that. Joe Lewis did it, you know, in a whole different time in this world, a whole different time in this country. But, um, you know, uh, Canelo, of course, does it for, for the Mexican people. You know, he, he, he connects with that. Um, there have been, there have been special ones that do it. Uh, Matty's one of the special ones, uh, that do it. And again, lift up his people, give hope to his people that, hey, if Manny Pacquiao can do it, you can do it. So um, just a just a very special human being, a very special athlete, and a true champion fighter. Teddy, I know you were work, you know, opposite corners. You know, when when Manny, uh, you know, fought Tim Bradley in Bradley's corner, and you've you you know, it's one thing to. 
to commentate on him or to see the guy, you know, watching the fight. But then when you're when you're across the ring and your guy is fighting him, uh, what are some takeaways for Manny Pacquiao? Because we always hear people say, you know, just you never know. And we've heard fighters say this. Even Tim said this. He says never thought he was actually that fast or that powerful until you actually get in the ring. What is your perspective of him seeing him up close and personal yeah, like I mean, that? It's hard to prepare for because touched what you touched on when. You know, I tried to get the the right guys to spot, southpaws and the fastest guys. And then that night when you show up, well, look, not that I'm shocked by it because right. obviously I, I knew what we were facing and I saw the film and I saw him firsthand, so I understood. But still, you know, you do your best to get guys to emulate him with, with the physicalities that he has. And then you get there that night and you say, oh, <laughs> we didn't quite get there. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, our guys that we had, as good as they were in the gym, uh, obviously they came up short because you're seeing it firsthand. It's kind of like when we're talking about the NFL before, and it's one thing when you're watching it, you know, from the stands. It's another thing when you're watching it on TV, but then you get down on the field and you say, wow, you see the speed, you see the power, you know, you, you feel it, you feel the force of these athletes. Well, it's the same thing. It's no different. You know, even for a guy like me who's been in the business almost 50 years, uh, you get there and you say, hey, yeah, <laughs> there it is. You know, the, the spawn partners uh, didn't, didn't quite get there uh, to be able to uh, bring it to the level of what we have in front of us. But again, not a shock, but just, again, a reconfirmation or confirmation of, yeah, uh, this guy is, uh, he's fast. Yeah. He's explosive. You know, and not just with his hands, with his feet. You know, one of, one of his great, you know, assets, one of, one of his greatest attributes was his ability to close the gap so fast. You know, how many guys did he wind up hurting and knocking out just because he closed the gap really fast? Mm-hmm. And, and even ran the red lights, you know, where sometimes you're not supposed to close it that way because it could be dangerous. You could get caught on the way in. But he was so fast. Uh, that he was able to get away with it most of the time. Teddy, do you believe that that Manny is totally done? Because I know there was question marks about that, and it seems like he really took time after the Ugas fight to really think this over. And I understand now he's running for presidency in the Philippines, and you know it seems like he's really given this a lot of thought. And you look at Manny, and we know fighters always come back, but. You do, do you think that he truly is done? Is he one of these guys that says, you know what, I've thought long and hard, I'm hanging him up? I'm not 100% sure. I've been around this game too long, yep. and he's a very competitive guy. And he's not done. I mean, he's not done if you don't want to be done, because he's still, even the Norgos lost, he showed he could still fight. He can still fight. I'm not saying that I advocate for a guy at 42 to continue. All I'm saying is, I call it as it is. And he could still fight. He could still be plenty of guys. He's that special. But, you know, um, I think that right now it's real because he does have a transition in his life. He, you know, he does have a different new chapter to his life, running for the presidency of developing. If, if it wasn't for that, I don't think he would be retired. I think that he'd be looking to, uh, for the next fight. But being that he does have this new fight, if you will, on his hands, and it is a fight. He's going to try to run a country and make changes in that country. That's a fight. And I think that right now he feels truly in his heart and his soul that um, and his family, too, I think, that I 
I need to really, truly dedicate myself uh, to this fight, to prepare, just like I would if I was getting in the ring again, you know, to proper preparation and proper commitment. I think he's thinking the same way. Uh, he's a fighter, and he thinks in those terms. And I think he's thinking, hey, i got to commit myself and dedicate myself to being ready for this fight. Uh, and, and so for now, uh, I don't think that, uh, that boxing is, is going to be right there in the future. Uh, now, let's say he doesn't win the presidency. Well, there might be a different story. It might be. It, it could be. But if he goes forward and does what he usually does, which is win, um, and I don't think there's too many candidates that could run up against him that could be a better person or more passionate about helping the Filipino people, to be quite frank. So if he does win, then then I truly think that uh, boxing would, you know, would be uh, would be would be done with. He is Teddy Atlas. He's got a great podcast too, the Fight Podcast. Uh, check that out on all your podcast platforms. Before I let you go, Teddy, we got two huge fights coming up here in Vegas next week. We got Fury Wilder three, and then of course we've got Terence Crawford and Showtime Sean Porter on November the twentieth. Uh, give me your take about Fury Wilder three. Is this a fight that we even need to see, considering what Tyson Fury did last time, or is this hey, it's heavyweight, so anything can happen, right? What do you think? Yeah, you know. I think what you just said at the end there, and I qualify it a little bit. Not exactly. Anything can happen if a guy can punch like Wilder can punch. Mm-hmm. Then anything can happen. That's that's where I would qualify it. Um, not just because they're heavyweights. And being that he does that, that thunderbolt in his right hand, anything could happen. Uh, you got to like Fury, I think, uh, if you're thinking the right way and you're looking but all the things that are there to look at. He's a better fighter. He's the much better fighter. And he's, he's mentally seems to be the tougher guy, too. You know, um, you know, he got off the floor, uh, and he. some people thought he won the fight in the first time, but he got a draw, got off the floor after getting caught clean, and then he really reinvents his style, and he walks down uh, the punch of Wilder in his next fight. Um, he overcame all kinds of personal problems with, with uh, suicidal thoughts in his life. Thank God he overcame them. He fought that fight. He overcame them. So he's the stronger guy mentally, I believe, emotionally. Um, he's also the, the just a better, more versatile fighter all around. But again, the other guy does have that eraser. He does have that eraser. Uh, punches are born. They are not made. And, and he was born with that kind of power. So for that reason, there's, it's you can't just say lights out, uh, you know, close the books because of what happened the last time. Because uh, at any time he can land that punch. Uh, the last time he looked terrible, he made excuses. You know, he showed weakness in, in those kind of ways. Uh, that That's hard to, that doesn't bode well for him. It's hard to get behind a guy like that that has made those excuses instead of just, you know, owning up and saying, hey, yeah, you know what, I got beat, I got to get better. And that's another thing. You know that old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? That's, we're we're going to test that theory because he's got a new trainer. I don't know, you know, he hasn't had a track record or nothing, but Luke Scott, uh, so we don't know if he can train, we don't know if he can teach, we don't know if he's good or bad, but somebody's got to teach this guy a little something to keep balance, you know, to use his jab, uh, not to let the other guy dominate you with the jab. And that's what Fury did. He dominated him behind that jab. You know, someone's got to teach him to use his jab, teach him to keep balance, 
uh, to be in position and not to throw right hands like he's throwing a frisbee on the beach. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where he throws the right hand straight and where it has purpose to it, you know, where he's throwing at the right time, uh, where he's balanced when he throws it, where there's a setup to throwing it. Uh, if he can learn just some kind of basics, some, some kind of those fundamentals that I just touched on, and if he has the right mindset, there's one thing that he has going for him. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. It's called redemption. And and if if he's really as prideful as I think he is, I think he is because to his credit, he didn't have to take this fight. He could have took step aside money, but he took the fight. He wanted to fight. He insisted that his contract, you know, was going to be adhered to, and um and he got the fight. That shows me a guy that's got pride. That shows me a guy who wants to be a champion again. That shows me a guy that understands that everything's at stake here. Everything, his identity, what he stands for, now what he was. Was he ever a champion? It's kind of like that Rocky movie. I think it was the dirt one where where Clover where Clover Lyon was, yeah. uh, was there, and and Mickey says didn't want to fight. He didn't want to fight, and um, and he says I can beat this guy. I'm champion. I I'm better than this guy. I can beat the guy. And Mickey just kept insisting. And finally, Mickey said to him, "Those were setups. Those were setups. Those guys you beat." And you know, it's kind of like that. Like who did he beat? Think about it. That long list of guys. I know he beat Klitschko. Well, Klitschko was 40 years old when he beat him. Uh, not Klitschko. Um, he beat the best guy that he probably beat was Ortiz. I was thinking right, for a second right, about Chaz. Right, right. About Chaz. Well, who got beat by Yusei? Yeah. Because I was thinking the same thing in some ways that people overrated Joshua. And, and I had talked about that on the podcast. But in this case, who did he beat? Uh, and it was like a, a bunch of pins that were lined up to be knocked over. And so you could say the same thing. That, that Mickey said in the Rocky movie, like, uh, they were a bunch of setups. You know, uh, they, they, weren't, they weren't what this guy is. And so I think that that's what it comes down to, that really, for, he's fighting for his identity, for who he is. Like, like, was I ever a champion, or were they a bunch of setups? Were they a bunch of pins that were set up for me to knock over? Like, was I ever a champion? Who am I, and who am I going to be? So... That's powerful. That's that's heavy stuff, and and if that stuff is laying on his mind and on his heart, which I think it is, because again he didn't have to take this fight. He could have took step aside money. He insisted on this fight. So if that's the case, and I think it is, then you know what? That can be powerful. That can be very powerful. Just just remember George Foreman and Ali, because very similar. Because when Ali exposed, let's say he exposed the bully, because Fury bullied the bully. There's no doubt about it. That's how he beat him. He bullied the bully, and he broke him down. Yep. Now, Ali bullied the bully in Foreman. Foreman was knocking everybody silly, crooked, sideways, frontwards, backwards. And, and he goes to Zaire, and he breaks him down, and, and he knocks him out. And what did George have to do? George had to suffer for 10 years to exercise those ghosts. To, to to find himself, to find his soul, to come back and, and to, to, you know, to find out, was I ever champion? Really? Was I ever champion? Was I ever champion? What's my identity? What, am I going to leave it like this? Or am I going to rectify this? And he came back, and of course he did. Unfortunately, he did it against my guy, but he did. He did it at 45 years of age. And to me, it's very similar. It's really, really similar. Of course, no one else is going to talk about this, but it, I talked about it on my last podcast. It's very similar to that, to where, you know, he 
He's had 18 months. George had 10 years. But Wallace had 18 months to live with that, to exercise those goals. And now he's got a chance to do that. Yeah. How crazy is it? And you said it earlier on about this guy's got to basically learn fundamentals or rework that sort. And we're talking about a guy who's been champion, and we're talking about a heavyweight. And it's true because when you look at this guy, you wonder if he ever had fundamentals. It's strange. And as a trainer like yourself, isn't that just backwards? You're supposed to learn this at 8 or 10 years old, aren't you? Yeah, you are. And listen, he started late. He started later, but he still was an Olympian. Yeah. He was still an Olympian. He had plenty of amateur fights, but he did start a little later. But having said all that, you know, you can get away with it as a heavyweight because it's more about physicality right. sometimes than it is about finesse and about sophistication and about technique and about all those other things that are so important, so important. Mm-hmm. As heavyweight, you can get away with it sometimes a little bit. And he did with being more physical. But it it really is something uh, that he was able to get that far and find that many guys to knock out. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Other than Ortiz might have been the best guy that he fought, and Ortiz was 40 years old. So, you know, to to find those guys, the pins, if you will, to knock over, to line up, and but, but he still did it. He had the power to do it. He did it. Um, but it is amazing that after all of that, and you look at his record, and those title defenses and everything else, and you look at them, and if you didn't know the name, if you just walked in the room and you saw it on the screen, seriously, and you saw it on the screen and you saw them, you say, well, are those sub-novice gold glovers? Are those, those are sub-novice? Is that guy just in his second uh, amateur fight? Oh, no, he's a world champion. What? What? Yeah, he's a world champion. Are you kidding me? I mean, you really, that, that's a fair scenario. You could actually say that if you saw him and you didn't know who you were watching. That's how bad his technique and his fundamentals have been at times. Very true. All right, what is the Teddy Atlas prediction for this fight next week? Oh, man. Um, everything I just said, <laughs> you're supposed to take Fury. you got to pick. Uh, you're, you're, yeah. Listen, you're supposed to take Fury. You're supposed right. to take Fury. He's the better guy. I'm taking Wilder. You always take it wilder. There it is. Okay. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, listen, the easy pick here is Fury. Yeah. I don't go the easy way. I don't go the easy way. He wants way. the underdog. But, he wants the plus money there. There it is. No, it's not. You know what? That That's, uh, yeah, that's fine to say. But uh, you you look you, no, know, I, you look to see if, if you, no, no, that, that, that's fine to say. You look to see if, you know, if you could get a live dog or whatever you want to call it. You, you get you get something coming back to you. But, no, that's not the reason. It's because of what I said before. Right. It's no. about redemption. It's about it's, a, it's about redemption. It's about having to live with himself the rest of his life and, and with who he is or who he's not, even more importantly. So because of that, um, I'm going to say that somehow he's going to muster up. Somehow he's going to muster up the strength to find a way. And, listen, would, would I be surprised if uh, Fury – Beats him and handily again. Of course not. I, I think I said it already. Right. But I'm I'm gonna go with what I just said, with with that, with those intangibles, if you will. Great stuff. Uh, check out his podcast, the Fight Podcast. Teddy Atlas, uh, great analysis as always, and uh, guest and everything. And and I always like to. Uh, 
you know, always talk about your foundation, Teddy, because it's fantastic. Uh, you know, after your father, Theodore Atlas Foundation, I know you continue to do great things in New York City uh, for so many people that need it as well. So shout out to you, brother. Uh, much love. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. And I appreciate all the wonderful people out there that support us and help us go out there and help the people that are most in need and need help. Thank you. Great stuff, brother. Okay, we'll let you get back to the Little League Diamond, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks for the time, Teddy. My pleasure. You take care. There there he goes. You got it. Teddy Atlas, one of the best, the greatest, no question about it. Just as a trainer, as a commentator, telling it like it is, just a great guy, great friend, and uh, love having him on. And again, Raider Ties, yes, for 11 years, his son has been the assistant director of scouting for the Raiders. So every time we talk to Teddy, always like to talk some Raider football as well, too. And we even got some Giants and Jets talk in there as well. You got it all. And some bowling references. He's talking about, you know, Wilder knocking down pins. There you go. <laughs> All right, when we come back, Larry Merchant is going to join us. We'll get his thoughts on Manny Pacquiao. This is boxing referee Kenny Bayless, and what I say you must obey. So be sure to catch up with the broadcast at tcmartinshow.com. All right, today we're reflecting back on the career of Manny Pacquiao, who... Announces his retirement at 42 years of age, 26 years as a pro, champion of four different decades. Think about that. A champion in four different decades, 12 major titles, eight weight division champion. And again, you know, those of us who got a chance to know Manny, meet Manny, cover Manny, just a, a phenomenal guy, phenomenal human being, of course, you know, fighting aside. Uh, just a, a, a great guy that we're going to miss because there's not many, many Pacquiao's around this world anymore. And I uh, thought it'd be a great time to bring in Larry Merchant, who covered so many of Manny Pacquiao's fights in his long tenure there with HBO, longtime boxing analyst. And of course, you know, Larry, even before that, is a, is a great journalist as well, too. Uh, Larry Merchant, the legend, as I like to call him. How you doing, my friend? Well... I retired before Pacquiao did. Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You did. Oh, uh, Larry, when you when you heard the news about Manny, I know there's always speculation in boxing when a guy's approaching his 40s or when they lose their last fight. There's always that talk about, okay, is this guy going to retire? And we've talked about this for quite some time with Pacquiao, but after he defeated Keith Thurman, and Manny looked so good these these past few years. You thought, well, is this guy ever going to retire? And then he sets up a fight against um, uh, Spence, Earl Spence Jr., and then the then he drops out, and then he says, well, I, I still want to fight. Give me Ugas. That's fine. And I think a lot of people thought, okay, Pacquiao's going to have enough to get by Ugas. And as it turned out, Ugas got the win, and then – you know, Manny comes back and says, I'm going to take some time and, and think this thing over. And it seems like he gave this a lot of thought. And he didn't want to make a pre, uh, premature decision because in the press conference that night here in Vegas, after he lost to Ugas, he did say, well, you know, maybe, maybe this is it. And boxing's been very, very good to me. And thank you, boxing. And he left by saying thank you, boxing. And then when he announced his re- you know retirement yesterday, he basically said, again, thank you, boxing. So... 
when you when you hear the news that Manny is actually hanging it up, I guess number one, do you believe it's finally over? And then number two, Larry, your thoughts about the career of Manny Pacquiao? Well, I think uh, boxing should say to Manny Pacquiao, thank you for keeping us going. Uh, he's a rare phenomenon. Um, if he were American and 60 or 70 pounds heavier, he would be an, an Ali. He was a, uh, an extraordinary fighter. And what is not understood enough, I think, is that by coming to America, Manny galvanized our many Filipino citizens. Filipinos work all over the world. I've been on cruise ships and restaurant and been in restaurants everywhere and Filipinos often turn up. Uh I was on a cruise ship once and they gave me extra ice cream because <laughs> I had known many. <laughs> um but being able to bring an audience which is to say money to the fights and having a, an American promoter made him seem almost American and he became a worldwide figure in part because of his extraordinary boxing and banging ability plus his personality and Two, because of all these Filipinos all, all around us. So um, by galvanizing all those forces together, he became this worldwide figure. And, um, and I don't think there's any, been anybody quite like him. You can argue over whether they were better fighters or not. Um, since Ali, as a worldwide figure. And that says a lot. And he's meaningful in his country and his culture. And uh, for all we know, he actually will run for president, as he's been threatening for quite a while. Larry, you called so many of Manny Pacquiao's fights. Give me that one instance or two where you were even amazed yourself. And we always talk about, and we've talked again with you know Tim Bradley, who was in the ring with him. We've talked to Teddy Atlas, who was who was you know training Bradley at the time, and 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 they all said the same thing. It's like, well, you think that this guy has got power, and you think this guy is fast, but until you actually get in the ring with him, it's like throw that out the window. I mean, this guy's even faster and stronger than we thought. Give me a moment or two when you even thought maybe, okay, maybe this guy isn't, you know, that good, but then he even surprised you. Well, he didn't give me many, many chances to say he's not that good. He did give a few chances for me to say. Or maybe he's well, an underdog. You know what I'm saying? Maybe he Well, thought, when you know, he fought yeah. Thurman, I would have, if I was a betting man, I would have, Bet the house on Thurman. Um, 
and he still had that old quickness and resolve and strength. I did his, or we did his first fight in America about 20 years ago when he came in as a late substitute um, to fight uh, an African fighter, Ledwaba, who was very hard, highly regarded. And he took him apart and tore him apart. And uh, I had never heard of him. I, where did where did this storm come from? How did this happen? And then I believe his next appearance in the U.S. was in Memphis um, when Mike Tyson uh, fought um, Lennox Lewis. I'm not a thousand percent sure of that. And I spoke to many of my colleagues from Britain. Uh, he hadn't registered that strongly there yet. And I told them, you've got to watch this kid on the undercard. And he performed as I expected, and they were pleasantly surprised by. And then, of course, things set up for him because... It was the time of the Mexican uh, featherweights and junior lightweights and lightweights um, with um, all those names you, you would remember and I've started to forget. Uh, <laughs> well, well like, uh, like I said, I mean, Marco Antonio Burrow twice, Oscar De La Hoya, Ricky and, Hatton, Mike Miguel Cotto, Antonio Margarito, Sugar Shane Mosley, Brandon Rios, Tim Bradley twice, and like you mentioned, Keith Thurman. Those are just some of the champions that, that he beat. Who is the one? I'm sorry. I'm not sure which 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 exact which one you were talking about. I just I just rattled off. I think about you know about ten of them there. So I'm not sure which who is who is the sum. Uh, I'm not sure what you're asking. I'm sorry. Oh no no I was just I wasn't asking anything Miller. I was just I was just making a I was adding on to your point about how he beat you know so many champions and so I was just uh, you know listing uh, off the top of my head. Look, the, he was, if if. If there had been as many, say, lightweights as um, um, as there are, say, welterweights in recent times, um, Manny would have gone gone right straight through the, through them. And the fact that he beat, for example, Cotto, uh, a, a true welterweight, was astonishing how he handled them and stopped them, I believe. Mm -hmm. So um, he was one of a kind. All of the stars uh, seemed to come out and form in his favor. And they were in his favor because he made them in his favor. 
definitely one of a kind, not just as a fighter, but, you know, as a human being, just like kind of what you alluded to there. I mean, he just galvanized the Filipino people. And you know, I love telling the stories, you know, when he would come here to Vegas, he would always want to stay at the Mandalay Bay. And he would just, you know, conduct, you know, church services, you know, down below in the convention center area the nights before, uh, you know, the fight uh, the night before. And he was would always go out of his way to, you know, shake hands and give people tickets. And we see, you know, the humanitarian that he's become, uh, you know, from a very young age uh, when he first championed, you know, going back into the Philippines. But he was that way with American people as well, too. I mean, there's not a, a bad thing you could say about about Manny Pacquiao. And when you go back to the fight, as you well know, with Floyd Mayweather, that fight took place, you know, five years, you know, too late. And then when Manny would get even bad decisions, you know, like the Jeff Horn fight and other ones like that, you know, he just, he would just say, well, that's boxing. I mean, this is, no one wants this title of being a great loser, but this guy is the best loser that we've ever seen because even when he's got railroaded in several fights, he would never complain. And that's the thing that I don't think we are ever going to see again. We're not going to see a humanitarian like Manny Pacquiao, a guy who will fight all comers like Manny Pacquiao did, but just to be so humble and gracious and just being willing to to you know fraternize with the general public. I mean, that to me just says so much, especially today, as you well know, the modern athlete today, that, that's, that's not the norm. Well, the modern athlete today is is trying to build the following on social networks. Um, Manny is a spillover from the time when you did it eye to eye, and um, he learned he was a title holder when he was like fifteen or sixteen in a flyweight division, and. Uh, so he learned that and understood that the way to be a champ was to be a champ. Larry Merchant joins us, uh, the legend himself, so many years calling not only Manny Pacquiao fights, but so many fantastic bouts with HBO uh, boxing. Uh, Larry, I want your take real quick here before uh, you know leaving Manny Pacquiao for a second here, as we got another big heavyweight fight, and I know that it pales in comparison to the great heavyweights. You know, Fury and Wilder coming up here next week here in Vegas, uh, the third fight. And, you know, we were just talking to Teddy Atlas, and it just seems weird when we're talking about a guy needs to work on his fundamentals, like Deontay Wilder is, for a guy who's been champion. And then, you know, when you go back, you know, to the great heavyweights, you would you would never say that, you know, for the most part. I understand, you know, heavyweights, you know, it's all about punching power and that sort of thing. It's, well, it's you know, not. Usyk showed the other night that it's not just all about punching power. Right. Uh, if you can stop the other guy from hitting you, then he's got no punching power. He's punching the air. Um, and I'm down with that. Uh, I'm a Tyson Fury uh, fan. Uh, Tyson Fury is the only one out there right now that I can think of that has has the same kind of opportunity to be a champ, um, given his background 
as an Irish traveler, given his ability at six foot eight or nine to be a pure boxer, and then in his last fight against Wilder, to be a slugger. I've never seen a fighter who had always boxed in all of his previous fights. And because Fury had so much advantage in his height and his background, um, and then suddenly turn it on and become a killer. Suddenly going after his opponent. Uh, Wilder and taking him apart. It's a it's like a, a complete 180 degree turn in uh, personality and character. How many people can do that at the highest level? So um, there's hope out there yet. I'm sure they can. Um, Fill a big soccer stadium in Britain if they should if 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 Fury is trained well and takes care of Wilder, uh, then we might see a big big heavyweight fight, and we might see some uh, American heavyweights emerge. Yeah. All right. Quick prediction, Larry Fury Wilder next Saturday night here in Vegas. Who do you got? Gotta have Fury. I wish Wilder had started uh, boxing when he was five or ten years younger, uh, so that he could handle perilous, sudden situations in the ring. But he is what he is—a pure puncher, without much sophistication in his uh, boxing. And we'll see if uh, the year or year and a half since he last fought, he's been he's been able to uh, train in a way to uh, neutralize whatever fury shows up. All right, we'll look forward to it. Uh, fury Wilder three next Saturday night here in Vegas. Larry, appreciate the time, my friend. Great stuff, and appreciate your thoughts on Manny Pacquiao, a guy that you knew very well and covered for a very very long time. So. Uh, Continued uh, uh, success with you, my friend, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you. There he is, Larry Merchant, uh, one of the best. Uh, Great career with uh, HBO and uh, just a a Hall of Fame career, Larry Merchant. All right, appreciate Teddy Atlas for joining us today, as well as Larry Merchant, Sam Gordon, all talking about Manny Pacquiao retiring at the age of 42. 26-year pro career, champion in four decades, 12 major world titles, eight-weight division champion, start out at flyweight and ended at super welterweight. Just just one of a kind. Oh, and by the way, Manny Pacquiao generated $1.2 billion in pay-per-view revenue. The longevity, fighting every contender, every champion, a class act, win or lose. Never changed the style. One of the best. Manny Pacquiao retires at the age of 42. All right. Appreciate everybody for joining us here today. We're going to send you out with Manny Pacquiao giving his farewell. 
And we're back at it again tomorrow. We start talking NFL, college football, working our way towards the weekend, live at the Cosmopolitan on Fridays with our best bet segment, 2 to 4 p.m., of course. If you miss any part of the show, you know where to go, tcmartinshow.com. It is difficult for me to accept that my time as a boxer is over. Today, I am announcing my retirement. I never thought that this day would come. As I hung up my boxing gloves, I would like to thank the whole world, especially the Filipino people, for supporting Manny Pacquiao. Goodbye, boxing. Thank you for changing my life. When my family was desperate, you give us hope. You give me the chance to fight our way out of poverty. Because of you, I was able to inspire people all over the world. Because of you, I have been given the courage to change more lives. I will never forget what I have done and accomplished in my life that I can't imagine. I just heard the final bell.